Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to talk to you from the topic, the power of believing. If you're taking notes today, which I always encourage you to, the power of believing. I was out of state this week at a pastor's meeting where 10 different pastors shared their whole story. And if you know pastors, you know pastors can talk. So that was a lot of sitting, a lot of listening. But there was a special reason I was there because I heard this guy's story. I have a new hero. This is Rob Dance. And Rob is my hero, not because of something he has done or some gifting he has, but a choice he made. And that choice was in the midst of the craziest life circumstances he chose to believe. He chose to believe. I want to unpack for you Rob's story. I asked him permission to share it, building tremendous faith in people's lives. Rob is a Canadian. He was born in Canada. He started his story by saying that he actually attended his parents' wedding in the womb. His mom had gotten pregnant and her parents, uh, not Christ followers, but religious enough to mandate that when she got pregnant, that her and her, uh, her boyfriend got married. And Rob said his earliest memories of his uh, parents' relationship, there was alcoholism, and that when uh, it got abusive and volatile, his mom decides to leave, and the first thing he remembers uh, from his dad was his dad saying that he was going to shoot his mom, cut her up into many pieces, and dump her in a river. So his mother had to flee for her life, and she moved to Southern California. So Rob spent his, his young years growing up in the Los Angeles area, and again, his mother uh, married, and again, he found himself with a stepfather who was an alcoholic, not investing in his life, no, no male influence, and so he said he went looking for acceptance, he went looking for camaraderie, and he found it in a gang part of Los Angeles. He said these actually weren't gang members yet. These were baby gangbangers. Not quite sure what a baby gangbanger looks like. I have like a picture of a bandana and a rattle. But um, said that's, that's who he got involved with. He said he also got into death metal at the time, let his hair grow out long, put on the black trench coat and spent most of his time skipping school, hanging out under the bridge with addicts, homeless, where alcohol and drugs flowed freely, diving headlong into that kind of lifestyle. Well, his mother looked up, saw her, what his life, his mother looked up and saw what her life had become once again, and so she wanted to make a change and move to a more wholesome place, so she picked them up and moved smack dab into the middle of the cornfields of Kansas. And he said, you can imagine how easy it was for me to fit in and be accepted as a death metal, long black hair, trench coat wearing kid in the cornfields of Kansas. That it didn't go too good for me. <laughs> no one knew what to do with me. And again, as he found himself fatherless, he found himself without a male influence, he said he went off the rails as far as acting out. And soon his mother kicked him out of the house at 14. Rob was sent back up to Canada to be with his father he hadn't lived with in years. His father by then had remarried. Rob described his life with stepmother as kind of like a Cinderella stepmother who would verbally abuse him, belittle him, shame him, actually take from him, to where it finally at 16, 17, Rob decided to just run away 
And in Canada at the time, you could announce that you were independent in your teen years and actually get welfare from the government. So Rob moved out, started collecting a welfare check of $650 a month and decided he was going to move in with his best friend. Best friend didn't come from the most ordinary family. His best friend came from a single parent family and his mom had an interesting job. She was a madam of a brothel. She managed prostitutes in a home. And so he moved in with his best friend in the basement of the brothel. She charged him $450 a month, three quarters of what he was bringing in a month. So he said he lived on peanut butter and jelly beans. And he'd live in a disease-infested, moldy, varmint-ridden basement, sharing it with numerous people, being exposed to the most heinous, immoral, and debaucherous acts that he could imagine. And because he was bigger, you saw a picture of him. He was, it was demanded of him to be the bouncer of the brothel. And his men would come in, binging on alcohol and drugs, and threatened to, to, to beat these women to death. He would constantly be called, and he'd have to run upstage, upstairs as a teenager with a butcher knife, praying that he wouldn't be killed, not knowing who he was praying to. Miraculously, he survived that. Miraculously, he kept himself in school. When he graduated from high school, his family didn't attend his graduation. He said very romantically, he met his future wife at a drug party. And they would fall in love. They wouldn't get married, but they would find that they were pregnant with their first child. And second child came along, and he said that their relationship was incredibly volatile, incredibly uh, toxic, high emotion to the point of not just verbally abusing each other, but uh, she would pick up things, uh, objects that could kill him and throw them at him with all her might, putting him through the walls. Until one day, Rob comes home from his job and his wife is sitting in a chair, peacefully sitting, reading a book. She's crying. And as he looks, he realizes the book was her family Bible. And he looks at her, by now he's had a hard heart to her, and he says, what's wrong with you? She goes, uh, I'm not sure. I think I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. Rob said he responded with more anger because he had only known judgment and hypocrisy from religious people. Little by little, his wife's life started changing. She would go to the church and she'd plead that he'd take her. They had one car, so he'd take her and drop her off, and she'd plead that she'd, he'd go in and sit with her, and, and he never would. In fact, he told her, you have exactly one hour, and if you're not out at exactly this time, you're walking the five miles home. Pretty harsh. This woman just kept pleading and kept pleading. I think I'm probably speaking to someone today. Kept pleading that he'd show up until finally she wore down his resistance and he showed up. And he found himself intrigued, and they actually went to a a new believers class, and it was in that new believers class that the message of the gospel impacted his heart, and he decided to follow Jesus. Everything didn't change. Their marriage was still incredibly volatile, incredibly painful. Their family's life was a mess, but Rob started 
believing in Jesus and just started showing up at church and wanting to serve. They really didn't know what to do with this uh, goth-looking guy who was coming out of a crazy party lifestyle, but they, they, they started pulling him in more and more. He'd hang out with the youth group, and he found himself being drawn to, even though he's a totally baby believer, being drawn to the kids that everyone else rejected because he saw himself in them, had a desire to help them. Soon there was a new pastor of this old traditional church. This church was, was uh, very old, but there was a new young pastor, and so Rob just decided, man, I'm just going to stick with this guy. I'm going to be best friends with this guy, and he started serving and being at the church every time the doors were open, just trying to, trying to invest. And he got really, really into that, and yet his marriage and his family was still an absolute mess. And one day, he's at home, and his wife gets a phone call, and as she takes the phone call, she goes stark white just flushed of all blood. And he said he just knew at that moment something wrong had happened. And he looks at her and he goes, what did you do? She drops the phone and she confesses that she's been in a 16-month affair with that pastor best friend of Rob's. Yeah, that moment Rob said he was the most devastated he'd ever been in his life. He had a lot of reasons to be devastated before but he said he was at the most devastated point of his life. And his wife starts shaking. She actually goes and runs to go get Rob's gun to kill herself. She'll never believe what happened next. She's going to have to wait till the end of the sermon. Mark chapter 9. You know, it's clear that Jesus wasn't intimidated by hopeless situations. In fact, as you watch the Gospels, Jesus actually seems to love to dive in to people's lives that seem impossible, to the ones that no one else think there would be hope. Jesus seems to be drawn to those situations. And that's what we're doing. And in the beginning of this year, we believe that God gave us this word. And that word actually is believe. If you've been around, you heard me share how in a, in a mountain cabin, we asked God as a family to speak to us for 2021. That's the word God gave me, believe. And then we were driving away from that cabin. We're in the middle of the wilderness, and there's one billboard. We come around the corner, one billboard for miles, and it just has this big word, believe. I'm thinking, wow, I think God might be speaking to us. That's a sign. I show back up at the office. There's a card sitting in the middle of my desk. I haven't told anyone this, and it says, believe. And so we've been diving into this. We called 21-day fast saying we're going to be people where the world is shaking, where people are speaking doomsday. We're going to be people who believe. And I want to dive into this scripture where Jesus is challenging people to believe. It says this in Mark 9, 14 through 29, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked, as Jesus asking. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming in the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into a fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Let me read that again. Everything is possible for one who believes. I don't think you heard that. Let me say it one more time. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, um, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this can come out only by prayer. I want to unpack some key truths in believing today. I want to train you in believing today. So listen carefully. Let's start by this. We're going to just dissect this kind of verse by verse. It says this, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Here's the context. Mark chapter 9, two stories. The first story is something called the Mount of Transfiguration. So this is where Jesus and three of his main disciples, Peter, James, and John, go on a walk. Now, Jesus was always doing discipleship walks. So I imagine they were just thinking, oh, cool, we're going to go walk with Jesus. He's going to tell us some really cool things. It's going to blow our mind. It's going to change us a little. They didn't know. No, they're going on a hike up a mountain. And so when they get to the top of the mountain, they're probably thinking, okay, you know, Jesus likes to get sermon on mountains, so I'm probably going to get one. What happens? Instead, he's transfigured. What that means is God takes away that human veil, and they see Jesus in his glorified state. They see Jesus like he was before the creation of the world. They see Jesus like he is in the book of Revelation where his face is glowing like the sun and his robe is this bright white. And so they are blown away. And then they see these two prophets that are dead like hundreds and th- hundreds of years ago that show up and they're like, wow, those guys were dead, but they're here and they're alive. And then they hear this voice booming from heaven. So can you imagine when these guys are coming down the mountain, they're like, what just happened? They are in a different realm. And, and so here they're kind of floating down from this crazy spiritual experience up on a mountain, and they walk up to a bunch of religious people and disciples arguing about how God works. I'm sure they're like, dude, you have no idea how God works. Like, we were just up on the mountain. We saw how God works. Can I just say... This is the picture of a lot of the American church. Jesus wants to meet with us up on the mountain. 
He wants to show us his glory. He wants us to experience his presence. He wants us to hear the voice of God. But here we are just down arguing about religion amongst ourselves. Ah, you can't do music like that. Ah, you can't do church like that. Ah, you shouldn't do that. Ah, you don't say it that way. When there's no Jesus, there's a lot of arguing. God's calling us to be a people that go up the mountain and meet with him face to face. He's calling us to be a people who encounter him. And I can tell you, when, when Christians start meeting with Jesus, they stop bickering about a lot of trivial religious things. That's the church that God is looking for in 2021. It says this, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder. One of the problems with Christianity today is people haven't seen Jesus because when you saw Jesus, you were overwhelmed with wonder. And so I know most of you here today, you're here because you're like, I want to see Jesus. Well, how do I see Jesus? Go up on the mountain with him. Like, get away. Get alone with him. First of all, let me just commend you for being here. Because if you're here, it's because you want to meet with Jesus. And the Bible says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And Jesus said, wherever two or more gathered in my name, I'm there with them. So, man, that is why I come to church every week. Like, I'm a pastor, and I go to, I go to other churches because I am looking for Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And he says he's with his people. So let me just commend you. You're doing the right thing. But let me also commend you. You never just eat one day a week. Well, I had my Sunday lunch. That was enough for the week. I'm good. No, I, I don't know about you, but I'm a growing boy. I need, I need to feed. And you need to go off to be with him. He, he wants you to be with him. He wants to meet with you. And that's why I'm always talking about FaceTime, that daily time with Jesus. I want to tell you, in 2020, which has been one of the hardest years of my life, which has been one of the most challenging things, where more things have been stripped away, it has been the sweetest year of intimacy with Jesus. But you gotta, you gotta carve out that time to go up on the mountain. Like for me, I actually go up a hill behind my house every single day. Whether it's raining, sleeting, I'm going up there because I gotta meet with Jesus. Because when you see him, you're overwhelmed with wonder. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Guys, the church doesn't always seem to be answering the problems of the world, but we're coming into a time where, where Jesus is saying, church, I need you to walk in power. He's saying, church, I need you to be an answer to the world's problems. When people come in demonized, I need you to have that power. I need you to be a praying church. I need you to be my body on this earth. Jesus says to them, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Oh, let that not be said of us. Let that not be said of us. Let it not be said of us. So this is what Jesus says then. He goes, bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Don't hear me wrong this morning. 
When I'm saying we need to be a people that believe, I'm not talking about we, do, we need to be an optimistic people. Like, we need to be those people that just say, hey, everything's going to be all right. You ever had a friend like that? Like, you have the worst thing happen. They're like, everything's going to be all right. And you're like, that, that's not true. I'm not talking about some Pollyanna faith for you that grew up with the Disney Channel. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying we just say, hey, everything's okay when everything is bad. I'm not saying, I mean, I, re, I actually remember being on a Disney vacation and going around and, and, it, and they actually said, you just have to believe. And, and then it said, just believe in faith, love. And I'm like, this is powerful. And they go, and pixie dust. I've, I've actually heard people say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. Well, that's just not true. It matters, the object of your belief. And so what I'm talking about today is everything is possible for those who believe in Jesus. And Jesus said, bring the boy to me. He's saying to you today, bring your problem to me. Bring your impossible situation to me. Bring your marriage to me. Bring your sickness to me. Bring your challenging situation at work to me. Bring your pain from your neighborhood to me. Bring the pain that you are feeling in relationships. Bring the pain of your finances to me. Bring your depression to me. What he's saying is this. So many of us, we have a problem. We all have problems, by the way. I'm a pastor. I know that. I've never met a person without problems. But the problem is, with our problems, is that we just think about our problems, and we talk about our problems, and God's saying, no, bring the boy to me. Bring the problem to me. And so this is what I do. I close my eyes. There's a big problem. I mean, at 2020, there's like a new problem every day. I close my eyes, and I picture Jesus, and I see that problem as a big mountain or a big stone before me. And I say, I bring my problem to you. We need to spend more time giving our problems to Jesus and less time talking about our problems. We need to spend more time bringing our problems to Jesus and less time worrying about our problems. Talking about your problem, worrying about your problem, it does nothing. Bringing your problems to Jesus, it does everything. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him you got to catch this next part because I'm going to take you from elementary Christianity. We're going we're gonna to pass junior high. We're going to skip over to like senior year in high school right here. Yep. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. So let me give you a summary of that. He brings the problem to Jesus and guess what? It got worse. You see that? Because here's what I know as a pastor. People come up to me and they go like, Pastor, you said bring your problem to Jesus. I did it, and it didn't work. And I say, no, you're just experiencing what the Bible says was going to happen. The man brings his problem to Jesus, and the situation got worse. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want to be treated like a heavenly slot machine. Where we go and say, Jesus, I put in my quarter, I said my prayer, and then I pull the lever, and I deserve a jackpot. Jesus doesn't want to be a heavenly slot machine. Jesus doesn't want to be an equation. Problem plus Jesus equals answer. No, Jesus wants a relationship. 
Jesus wants to walk with you. Jesus actually wants to grow your faith. And the only way for your faith to grow is to be in the problem with Jesus. The only way your faith is going to grow is when you're believing for something you're not seeing. So your problem continues, but while it's continuing, as you're holding on to Jesus, he's growing you. And as you grow in maturity in Christianity, you start looking back and you start thinking, I thank God for the heart problem that almost killed me. I thank God for the persecution that I got as a young man. I thank God for the, the, the betrayal I got as a, as a middle-aged pastor. I thank, God, I thank God for having to go through this challenging year because I have gotten closer and closer and closer and he is just chiseling off the junk off my life. Jesus asked the boy's father, I love this. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Um, We can be honest with our problems. Some Christianity gets into this like hyper-spirituality of like, I can't say what my problem is, right? So someone's like, I'm not sick. You're like, yeah, you are. Like, just because you don't say it doesn't mean you're not, right? There's this like, if I say it, like I'm giving, no, no. Jesus is like, be real. Are you you following me? Because what I'm not doing today is preaching some name it and claim it, blab it and grab it Christianity. (laughs) Jesus actually says, Tell me about the problem. And he's like, yeah, Jesus, this looks bad. No, it's actually worse than this. Like he doesn't just convulse on the ground. He throws himself into the fire. To, 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 it, the spirit tries to kill him or into the water to kill him. And Jesus isn't like, don't speak that. That's not faith. Jesus doesn't say that. He's like, no, tell me what the problem is because I'm big enough to handle it. Because we're not into some superstitious Christianity. We're into Jesus. We're not into some equation. We're into Jesus. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, I'm not saying speak curses over yourself. And there's power of life and death in the tongue. So don't hear me saying, so go out and curse yourself. The guy comes and says this, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Oh, Jesus loves a prayer of desperation. If you can do anything, he's like, if you, Jesus, can do anything, please take pity on us. And some in this tent today or some online today, you're like, Jesus isn't hearing me. No, that's a lie. Our God is a good father. And man, as a father, It's one thing for me to hurt, but when my kids hurt, it is the most excruciating. It is the thing that I will move heaven and earth to draw near to them. I mean, you guys know my story. I almost had a heart problem. I mean, I had a heart problem that almost killed me. Like defibrillation, surgeries, near death. I mean, I was about to die, but that didn't, that paled in comparison to the pain I felt when Hallie, my oldest, at two years old, fell and and chipped her tooth. Heart problem that killed me, almost killed me, and a tooth problem. I cannot tell you the pain. I cannot tell you how much I wanted to draw near. I showed up, we showed up with a massive dollhouse. People were like, 
that was a little excessive. She just had a tooth pulled. I was like, no, I would have bought her a real house if I could have afforded it. I'm sorry you have a tooth problem. Here is a enter into your mansion. Because that is the heart of a loving father. Do not believe the lie that God is not heartbroken. He cares more about your pain than you do. Don't use that against me, Hallie. No. Dad, I chipped my tooth. Can I have a new car? Uh, If you can, said Jesus, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. So Rob's sitting there. His wife has just confessed to 16 months of an adulterous relationship with his best friend, the pastor. And then it just gets worse because the church totally rejects her, but not just her, starts rejecting Rob. And Rob's like, I did nothing wrong, and all I want to do is serve God. In that moment, though, God speaks, do not divorce her. Do not leave her, but put up a boundary and tell her, I will not leave if you promise to get help, because she had never been willing to get help. And immediately, things started to change. She goes to a counselor, and that counselor immediately says, you, you have bipolar all this time. No, you, you actually have bipolar and gives her medication and immediately puts her in her right mind and her life starts changing immediately. Uh, and, and let me just make a side note for a moment. Um, there is no shame in this house for going to see a counselor, going to see a psychologist or psychiatrist. There's no shame in mental medication in this place. Uh, because I, I want to say this, if you, of course, we're going to pray first. Of course, we're going to go to God first. But God uses numerous ways to heal us. And of course, like, if you break your arm, I'm going to, you know, if, if you, we were playing a game, you break your arm, I'm going to go pray for it immediately. That's what I do. But if it doesn't snap back together, which I have seen a couple of times where bones snap back together, that's radical. But I prayed for things that haven't. Then I'm going to say, hey, go to the ER. Get it reset. I'm not going to say, you, you of little faith. No, I'm going to say, no, let's go to the doctor. Let's put a cast on it. Let's take some medication. So why is it any different with mental health? Why is all of a sudden that shame? No, we're going to pray for you, but you go. You go to that counselor. You go and get on medication. And that started changing her. But, man, he, he also had a problem because people were rejecting him. And, and, and in this old traditional church, they were just like, hey, you, you know, you're over here. But, no. Rob believed that he had a call of God on his life. He believed he had a call of God on his life, and so he wouldn't quit just because someone treated him bad. I'm preaching today. So Rob just kept, kept going, and he kept going. I'll tell you what happened in a minute. If you can said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, um, a couple weeks ago, we had our 
global gathering of our team leaders from all people's churches. Our numerous churches, they all came in from around the world, and we were there, and we brought in a guest speaker, Pastor Steve. And Pastor Steve, we didn't tell him that our theme is believe, but wouldn't you know it that the message he brought was all about believing, and it was all about the beliefs that we carry in our mind, because you see, your actions flow from your beliefs. Let me say that again. Your actions flow from your beliefs. And so he told his testimony of how he was a man. He said, I had a faith like Eeyore. Thanks for noticing me. But God started changing my beliefs. I love his famous little phrases. If there's any area of your life that's not glistening with hope, you're believing a lie. Because with God, there's always hope. But he said, God started doing something with him as a pastor because he was pastoring this tiny church in Nevada. It was a, it was a, a, a little town that had gone downhill. He said most of the people were extremely poor. He said the education level was very low. There were all kinds of problems. He said uh, it kind of culminated in one church service where there were three people. Two of them were he and his wife. And he said, God, I could do something powerful for you if it wasn't for these people. And he said the Spirit spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, Steve, what if I told you that you were your people's biggest problem? He said, your people have enough challenges as it is to have a pastor who doesn't believe in them. He said, man, he just repented. You know, for the next several days, that, that just stuck with me, and I was really praying about it. Now, the interesting thing is um, I, I've had numerous people that have come up to me in this church and said, Pastor Robert, man, you believe in me way more than I believe in myself. Like, you called out this destiny. You, you, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't believe that. And in fact, I've, I've had numerous people that I've just seen the destiny of God, and I've called it out on them, and they've just ended up aborting, hitting the ejection seat, taking a left turn. And I, I actually had some of my pastors and my leaders say, you know, Robert, you, you often believe in people when they don't believe in themselves. Like, they've got to believe. And so I'm like, God, why is this phrase so highlighted? Why, why is this phrase so highlighted? So I'm up on my mountain praying about it, just asking, asking him. And he highlighted this verse. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, I think it's great for a pastor to believe in their people. I think it's great for a dad to believe in their kids. But you know, in the end of the day, the Bible doesn't say everything's possible for the one whose pastor believes in them. You follow me? The Bible doesn't say everything's possible for the one who is gifted. But I, I tell you, that's a lot of our mindset. You see one guy or one girl walk in the church and you're like, that person is sharp. That person has influence. That person, that person, they are gifted. I believe that person's going to change the world. We do it all the time, Christian. But the Bible doesn't say everything's possible for the one who is gifted. The Bible doesn't say everything is possible for the one who is rich. I met a lot of rich people that have very messed up lives. The Bible actually doesn't even say everything is possible for the one who has great parents. Everything is possible for the one who has thousands of Instagram followers. 
I'm preaching now. You know what the Bible says? Everything is pot. I'm, I'm, I'm walking on that mountain, and it's like that verse, it just stuck out to me. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Do you know why the enemy comes after your faith? Do you know why he comes after your belief? Because when you choose to be the one who believes what Jesus has said, what believe, who believes what Jesus has promised, you become dangerous. You become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. Not for the gifted, not for the talented, not for the one with the perfect family, not with the one for the perfect circumstances, but if there can just be a person who believes that God is who he says he is, and God will do what he's promised you to do, and God will fulfill your destiny that he has ordained for you, then that person is unstoppable. God knit you together in your mother's womb. Now, and once again, I'm not saying, so I'm not saying, so you just go up and say, I'm going to make $100 million. No, that's not what, that, that's name it and claim it. No, you get your God-given destiny. Psalm 139 said he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And that he has all these thoughts he's thinking about you. And he says this, that before you were born, all your days were written in his book. And he says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has already preordained for you to do. So you go and get along with Jesus and you get his promises and then you stand and believe on his promises and you are unstoppable if you will not give up. Rob just wouldn't give up. He wouldn't give up. Yeah, his wife had adultery. Yeah, his father had forsaken him. Yeah, he had grown up in a brothel. Yeah, he, he was even being rejected by the church, but he wouldn't stop believing. And he kept showing up, and he kept believing until finally one day the church leaders go, okay, Yes, we will send you out, you and your wife and your family, to start a church. And now there is this beautiful church. Well, first of all, let me tell you, they have a beautiful marriage now. They're still together. And they're actually helping other people reconcile their marriages. And it's not just that. They have five kids, and all five of those kids are saved. And they're all walking with the Lord. The oldest two have just finished a, a discipleship training school and want to serve the Lord full time. And then they have a church that's pulling people out of the gutter. They, they say, give us the ones that no one else wants. And God is doing something so glorious. And so Rob, Rob finishes his story. He finishes his story. There's 12 of us pastors around, and my heart is just overflowing, and I'm feeling like, oh, no, I'm supposed to do something. Like, I'm, God's telling me to do something prophetic. And I said, he finishes, and it's the time where we're supposed to ask questions. Like, so, Rob, how did that feel? And, and, and I'm like, no, I can't do that. I said, I'm so sorry. I have to do something. And I stand up, and I go, Whoa! And I start clapping, and all 12 of the other guys stand up. 
And we start just giving this crazy standing ovation. And Rob just starts melting and crying. Because in that moment, we were joining the hosts of heaven in their celebration of a man who never stopped believing and was seeing the promises of God in his life, his marriage, his family, and multiplied to countless others. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, and I love the next part, help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Let me give you three keys real quick. Just write these down super quick to finish off with. Three keys to growing in belief. Number one, move toward Jesus. Some of us, we're disappointed. Right now, we're in that moment where we brought something to Jesus, and yet it looks worse than it started. Don't run away. Don't say, well, I'm angry. I'm going to walk away. If you do that, you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. You hear me? You say, I'm walking away. Forget the church. I'm walking away. Then you're walking straight into the enemy's attack, straight into his trap. No, always move towards Jesus. If you can't run towards Jesus, walk towards Jesus. If you can't walk, limp towards Jesus. If you can't limp, fall towards Jesus. Move towards Jesus. Number two, say, I believe. Say, I believe. believe. Say, I believe. believe. Now say, I I believe. Why do I do that? Because faith comes from hearing the word of God. There's power when you speak a declaration in alignment with God's promises and his power. He spoke and he created the world. The kingdom advances through our faith-filled, biblically aligned declaration. And faith comes from hearing the word of God. Yesterday, I mean, I, I believe this stuff, but yesterday I am running on the beach and I am going, Robert, I'm actually saying this out loud. You, I'm, I'm quoting 1 Peter 2. You're a chosen people. You are chosen, Robert. You are a royal priesthood. I'm running down the beach. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. He's called you to declare the praises of him who called you out of the kingdom of darkness and into his glorious light. I love what Pastor Steve says. You're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. You know, you're driving down the road, and you're like, oh, they're so crazy. They're talking to themselves. No, I think you're crazy if you don't talk to yourself. Because faith, you need faith, and faith comes from hearing the word of God. I speak out daily who God says I am. I speak out daily who God is, and I speak out daily the promises he's made to me. Because faith comes from hearing the word of God. Lastly, he says, Help, my, help me overcome my unbelief. You don't have to have perfect faith. You don't have to have perfect belief. Ask him to help you overcome. Ask him for more belief. Ask him. The Bible says, ask and you'll receive. If you pray for anything in accordance with his will, you know you have what you ask for. Do you think he wants you to be a person of belief? Yes. So ask it. Just say, God, say this with me. God, give me more belief. That's a prayer you know he's going to answer. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him. Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. You know, there's a, a moment in your impossible situation where everything looks dead. But watch this. But Jesus took him by the hand. That is who my Jesus is. He takes you by the hand. If you've never met Jesus today, let me help you grab the hand of Jesus. Because watch what Jesus does. He always does this. He took him by the hand. 
he lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this can come out only by prayer. Believing is the gasoline. Prayer is the vehicle. Believing is the gasoline. Prayer is the vehicle. It's the way we utilize believing. If you don't pray, it's because you don't believe. If you become a person of belief, you will pray. You will pray consistently. You will pray you won't have a hard time praying for a long time because you will understand that it's the only way that you can move earth. It's the only way you can change impossible situations. It's the only way to overcome the enemy. It is the only way to see the kingdom of God come on this earth. Why don't we stand up? I, I believe today that God can restore your marriage. But the question is, do you believe? I believe today that God can restore your family. But the question is, do you believe? I believe that God can restore your finances. I've seen him do it countless times in people's lives. The question is, do you believe? I believe that God can heal you. Do you believe? I believe God can help you overcome your demonic attack, but do you believe? I believe that God can heal your relationships. Do you believe? There's let's be people who believe. Would you close your eyes with me right now?